Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Every election cycle, we hear about the, quote, Latino vote as if it's one group where issues hit mostly the same way and whose voters can be easily be split between those who support one candidate or the other. And to me, what makes it even more annoying is knowing that Latinos are all so different and there's so many different nationalities and cultures within that group. Like, look at us. Who are we and where are our families from? So for me, I was born in Venezuela and I grew up there and I moved to the U.S. only four years ago. So for me, I haven't really had the Latino American experience, but I'm still a Latino and I'm still someone from Latin America and I still heavily relate to a lot of the cultural traits that unite the Latino community here. Sabrina Rodriguez, political reporter, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, um, I mean, I was born and raised in Hialeah, Florida. I won't even say Miami because they tend to be also two different universes. Um, it's a very working class Cuban community. Um, I think it's the statistic is that it has the highest population of Cubans outside of Havana, Cuba. You know, if you if you walk outside and you walk through the streets of Hialeah, it's, you know, Cuban restaurants everywhere. I've brought plenty of friends from D.C. Um, and non-Spanish speakers that they go into a restaurant and you just are, it's assumed that you speak Spanish. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good indicator of what it's like down here. Laura Barone Lopez, you're also covering 2020. What about you? Yeah, um... We're all pretty different uh, in our in our Latino experiences in this country, actually. I am third, fourth generation, depending on which side of my family uh, you look at. We are of, you know, Mexican descent. Uh, I'm from Corona, California, which is, you know, more inland. It's it's desert, um, and, and it's a it was a diverse community. You know, it wasn't just Hispanic and white. It was also black and uh, Asian. Uh, you know, my grandparents were born in Corona, California. So the Barones have been there for a very long time, and my grandparents could speak Spanish. My mom can't <laughs> really. I can't. And so, you know, our Christmas and Thanksgiving gatherings are, you know, 50 Mexicans and none of us are speaking Spanish. I'm Sujan and I've been in the U.S. for 19 years. I'm originally from Managua, Nicaragua, and I moved here when I was six years old. My name is Martin Luis Rather. I'm from New York, New York. I'm of Puerto Rican heritage. The top issues in this campaign for me are firstly jobs, Education is ridiculously expensive. Uh, I think we need somebody who understands climate change. I'm Carlos Prieto, and this is Political Dispatch. Today, Election 2020 reporters Sabrina Rodriguez and Laura Barron Lopez on one of the most diverse groups in America, the issues different Latinos care about, and what Joe Biden and Donald Trump are doing to win them over. Que viva Cuba libre! My name is Ariana Canelon. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. Some of the most important issues to me, specifically this upcoming election as a Latina, is obviously immigration. I'm of Cuban and Puerto Rican heritage. Vice President and the future President of the United States, Joe Biden. One of my top issues is healthcare. 
and I feel that it has been fraught with very unnecessary elements. We need to get back on track with that. So, Laura, in terms of politics, um, what, what does it look like in, in the community that you grew up in? Um, well, you know, I mean, my home district is actually Republican, but I will say that that's probably just because um, a number of minorities don't vote at the levels that, that white voters do. But, you know, Mexicans in California ha have long leaned leftward. Um, it, there's a known activist culture among uh, me Mexicans in California, you know, dating back to Cesar Chavez. And, and the same goes, it's, it spreads over into Arizona. And Arizona is a swing state this cycle. And uh, the majority of Latinos in Arizona are Mexican as well. And we saw how left they could potentially go in the primary where Bernie Sanders won the Latino vote in California, which is partially what kept him alive for a bit. Sabrina, what about your hometown of Hialeah, that little piece of Cuba out in the U.S.? What what does it look like politically? Heavily leans Republican. Uh, so usually you see, you know, Trump and Trump officials coming here and it's kind of always been that way. Not like the rest of the Latino vote. Um, so I think my experience was definitely clouded on this like very loud, vocal Cuban Republican vote. Um, and I think in recent years, you know, I've seen you know, in my neighborhood, as well as in friend groups and, and the news of, you know, just how much it's changed in terms of more Venezolanos, more Colombians, more Nicaraguans, more Dominicans. Do you feel like the diversity in our group is properly reflected and it's properly identified um, when, when we talk about, you know, Latinos even as a voting group? I would say that it, historically it has not been. I actually have been, you know, happier with what we've been doing at Politico. You know, uh, Sabrina and I, I know that when we're writing about Latino voters, we're very specific about uh, what kind of Latino voters we're talking about. You know, the story is going to say these are Cubans and Cubans, you know, uh, have a propensity to vote Republican and these are their policy priorities. And I know that there's kind of been some conversation about like, oh, is there even a Latino vote? Like, should we say that there is a Latino vote? And I think that we should because, you know, I mean, just like any other group, but the more intelligent way to talk about those voters in the correct way as a reporter is to, you know, dive into the subgroups. Because I do think that, you know, Latinos do feel somewhat of this connectiveness with each other as an ethnicity and that that shouldn't be disregarded. So, Sabrina, since you bring up Cuban-Americans, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about how they traditionally vote. Like, I saw in a Pew report that almost 60% of Cuban-Americans lean Republican compared to almost 40% leaning Democrat ahead of this election. Yeah, um, I mean, I could give a history lesson on why <laughs> Cuban voters are historically <laughs> Republican. Um, but, you know, Cubans by and large have, have always tended to, to vote Republican. And there has been some shift since, you know, in the past 20 years-ish, where the Democratic Party in Florida has tried to make a more concerted effort. Younger voters are becoming more Democrat. Younger voters are becoming more left-leaning. There are some Cuban Democrats, and that is moving to some extent, but Trump will win with a majority of Cubans. Biden's campaign ha has had some difficulty reaching uh, Clinton numbers in Florida, and even reaching Clinton numbers is, is uh, not enough since she lost Florida. But, um, you know, clearly they see some possibilities with the Puerto Rican population and the diversity of the other Latinos that are in the state. But, uh, you know, right now it, it looks like 
Biden in some of these states, including Florida, may overcompensate with with white voters, be it college educated or even some seniors that he's pulling away from from Trump. And so we could very well see a very different coalition for Biden um, than one that we saw, you know, for Obama. Does age change which leniency a Latino voter might have or how long they've been in the country or how, for how many generations the family has been um, in, in the United States? Look, millennials and Gen Z uh, across race and ethnicity are far more likely to lean Democratic, to stay in the Democratic column, uh, you know, by majorities. And if you look at Gen Z, that uh, generation has a sizable Hispanic population. Like it's the second biggest compared to white Gen Zers. And, and that population could very well end up being a majority minority. And, and they are like millennials uh, voting more democratic. Right. And to further show how we can group Latinos together when it comes to how we vote, there's also a generational divide for how long families have been in the country. Back in 2016, the research group Latino Decisions found that 84% of first-generation Latinos supported Hillary Clinton, but her support dropped to less than 72% among third or later generations, which is still a large amount, but it's more than 10 points less than the first generation. My name is Jorge. I was born in Maracaibo, Venezuela, and I've been in this country for 20 years. I'm going to vote in November, and I'd like to see the winner of the election unite the country and set a vision for a better future. Just want someone who will do their job and show us we don't have to agree on everything to get along and accomplish great things. You know, one thing that uh, I think was like the overwhelming assumption in 2016 uh, was that the anti-immigration rhetoric and build the wall all that was creating this assumption that Trump was going to lose large. Hello, your call cannot be taken at the moment, so please leave your message after the tone. I'm Ansela, and I have been in the United States for 10 years. The most important issue for me are immigration, equality rights, and fighting human trafficking. But I wonder, is immigration really the biggest issue for, for Latino voters, or is that just another baked-in assumption of the, of the Latino group? It's not the biggest issue. If you're ninth-generation Mexican, I was just in an event last week with Eva Longoria, who's ninth-generation Mexican versus first-generation Mexican. You know, there's going to be a different relationship with that issue, but everyone is going to relate very much to the issue of the state of the economy, the state of, you know, healthcare. El agua, la luz... El celular, nuestra casa. In 2020, you know, coronavirus is a huge issue in how handling the pandemic. Y mientras se acumulan las cuentas, Trump continúa vendiendo cuentos. We have it totally under control. This is going to go away without a vaccine. People's access to healthcare are huge issues. Um, so it's really not the same issues that everyone cares about applies, you know, for Latinos too. I'm curious how the campaigns are approaching the Latino vote. What is the strategy uh, that that you know, campaigns are, are deploying to try to maybe not just reach out and, and compel them to vote for them, but also just activate a, what they could assume to be a base of voters. Yeah, I mean, in in Florida and with Latinos here, it's been, you know, the Trump administration has been very, very active. The Cubans from Miami, where we got a tremendous percentage of the vote, close to 90 percent. 
They gave me the Bay of Pigs Award. Can you imagine, right? The Bay of Pigs Award. Uh, but not only in, in the context of the campaign, he's been very active since 2016. You know, a lot of what Trump has done to campaign in Florida has been, you know, small policy wins and small policy offerings to Cubans and Venezuelans. Uh, I think in many cases, these people are talking even beyond socialism, and we're not going to let that happen. Analysts say that's a play for Cuban and Venezuelan voters in South Florida who've lived under repressive regimes. I will say then, though, when you talk to, you know, people that focus on the Latino vote, not just Florida, it's, you know, he hasn't done that, obviously, kind of level of engagement with Mexican voters or, you know, with people in Arizona, California. It's really been uh, very Florida focused by and large. Yeah, I would just to second what Sabrina said. I mean, when we're talking about Trump's Latino outreach, it's very much like Trump's Florida Latino outreach as opposed to outreach in other states. What do you like more, the country or the Hispanics? He says the country. I don't know. I, I, I may have to go for the Hispanics, to be honest with you. We got a lot of Hispanics. We love our Hispanics. Get out and vote. More recently, in the past month, in September, he did go to Arizona and Nevada. But from the Republicans on the ground in Arizona that I've spoken to, they really don't see Trump being able to expand his support among Latinos in the state. You know, we haven't really talked about Pennsylvania and North Carolina, but there are also sizable Latino populations in both of those states, you know, a little bit more than I think half a million in each state. And in a state like Pennsylvania, it's a lot of Puerto Ricans. And Biden's campaign is very focused on that in the final, you know, months of the campaign. They expanded polling there of just Latinos. Este noviembre cuenta con Joe Biden. They've also been trying to target Puerto Ricans there more because they, you know, feel as though they might be more inclined to go Biden's way as opposed to Trump's. And I, I haven't seen or heard um, about any outreach from Trump's campaign to Latinos in, in either of those two states. Has the, the growth of Latino populations in, in these kinds of states made them more purple, made them more competitive in, in presidential elections? Yeah, I mean, on average, Biden leads in Arizona by roughly 3.7 points. So, um, you know, it's in the margin of error, but it is very close and Biden is leading. Now, a big piece of that, yes, is because of Latinos. Uh, Trump's presidency accelerated um, these grassroots groups forming and getting politically active and registering voters and persuading them. So yes, is the reason Arizona could potentially vote for a Democratic president for the first time since 1996. Are Latinos a big part of that? Yeah, they are. And, and also, you know, I mean, the other piece of why it's close is because of the politically shifting attitudes of, of some of the white population in that state. Finally, we can't really talk about the Latino vote without talking about how the group had the lowest turnout rate in 2016, where some of the estimates say that less than half of eligible voters actually cast a ballot. Laura, how are the get out the vote efforts looking like this time around? I would say that, uh, you know, in the last four years, we have seen the formation of far more grassroots Latino groups than there have ever been before in the country. And they are exerting their power in ways that they haven't 
prior to 2016. You know, in the primary, if you had asked me the question or coming out of the primary, if the campaigns were fully focused on Latinos, I would have said no. Biden's campaign originally was not focusing on Latinos. They did not see them as a means to win the primary. They've done a lot in the last few months in terms of addressing that situation, in, in terms of focusing and having events or or expanding polling in other states or putting out more Spanish language TV and radio ad buys. And in Florida, you know, you see, and Sabrina can talk about this more, the, the full-on battle for Latinos there. That is the state where it is the biggest battle um, between the two campaigns. You know, there's, there's a lot of competitive races here, not just presidential. Uh, so, you know, having, having Biden come down makes a difference um, and, you know, competes with the narrative that Trump is the only one that comes to Miami and is the only one that engages with Cubans and with Venezuelans and other Latinos down here. You know, I think in, in an ideal world, we'll be having this conversation with some, uh, I don't know, cafecito and pan de muerto. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's not very snacky. I would have made arepas for everyone, oh but then God. like we would have had to wait like 20 minutes to pass our carb coma. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Carlos. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And to stay up on all of our latest coverage of the election and the coronavirus pandemic, sign up for the Politico Nightly Newsletter. You can do that at politico.com newsletters. Also, make sure you listen to Global Translations. That's the latest podcast from Politico, where we're taking a closer look at how the pandemic has drastically disrupted the world supply chains. New episodes of Global Translations drop every Wednesday, and you can already find the first episode wherever you listen. I'm Carlos Prieto. Thanks for listening.